And we are on. Welcome to episode number 99 of the Average Man Podcast, Broken Leg. Proudly and miserably brought to you by Perth Shithouse Weather. I'm talking rain, squally winds, cold as fuck. Uh, we had some flooding appear down here uh, uh, earlier in the week or over the weekend. Shit is miserable down here. I don't know how people do it, man, especially these winters. And there is people just everywhere. There's people from from breakfast hole to asshole everywhere you go, man. Um, so yeah, here I am. Been trying to find some time to squeeze a podcast in on this uh, lovely family holiday down to beautiful Perth. <clears throat> um, and finally, I've got it. Um, we're here for what is it? Tuesday now. We drive out on Friday, so I've only got a couple of days left, two or three days left. And it's been it's been a it's it's been a roller coaster ride, man. Um, I had four days of classroom time for the diploma of building that I'm that I'm doing. So we got down here on Monday last week, and then I had a couple of days sort of with the family doing a bit of catch up stuff. And then you know, in the back of my mind, I had this course on. Um, so that was so that was bubbling away in the background, and then did that four days uh, in the classroom, and that's behind us now. So I've got a few days to just wind down and have a little bit of an actual holiday. Type holiday, but you're kind of already gearing up for the drive home at this stage a little bit in the back of your mind. So it is what it is. We knew it was never going to be a perfect holiday. Um, it was more just uh, you know making do with what we had available as far as what we could book, uh, and it worked out because I had to do these four days um, in the classroom for the diploma anyway. So it is what it is, man. It's not Bali. It's not going to Darwin with the family. It's not driving up to Kununurra for a week. But it is what it is. Um, Look, we are having fun down here as well. We've done some really cool shit, but um, I'll get to that in a minute. Let's just recap what's at the front of my mind right now. And while I'm at it, if I might, just might mention if it sounds a little echoey and tinny at the moment, it's, I'm in quite a large room with high ceilings. I've got a little bit of sound deadening equipment behind me. And by sound deadening equipment, I mean some pillows. Um, but yeah, I can hear myself that it's sort of ringing a little bit. So I'll try and get rid of that on the edit if I can, but it may sound a little bit tinnier than we're used to. Um, it took a long while to get the sound quality up on this podcast. There were some dark days back in the back in the beginning, uh, and even some someone I, I should have already had it figured out. So I, I do take uh, pride in having a good sound quality. I listen to my podcast. I listen to some other local guys' podcasts as well, who are doing a great job content wise. Is, is awesome, but sometimes I think that I've got better audio than these guys who are sort of theoretically further down the podcast track than me. So I take pride in that. But um, yeah, it may be a little tinny today. Look, USC 64 is what I want to talk to you all about because it was a cracker of a card that we had just over the weekend. It was, of course, a Conor McGregor fight card, which always has a different... You know, they always hit differently, Conor McGregor fight cards, man, even though it's not a title fight. It was UFC 264, Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier, the trilogy fight. So... Anyone that knows the situation, these guys fought back in 2014 when Conor was on his, his meteoric rise to stardom. Emporio was one of the casualties along the way. They fought at the feather, in the featherweight division um, and Conor just starched him pretty, pretty handily. Uh, I think it was first round too. He starched him pretty handily, um, put him away. And sort of moved on his on on his way to 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 the top of the food chain to the, to the title shot and then to becoming eventually two the first ever UFC two division champ meaning he was the lightweight what well, meaning he was the featherweight champion 
and went up to fight for the for the uh, lightweight belt while he was still the champion at featherweight, and um, and won that title too. So there's been a few guys who held two titles, but not simultaneously uh, prior to that. So they 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 relinquished one belt and gone to another division, and then become the champion there. But he actually held both both belts at the same time. Iconic interview in the octagon afterwards with Joe Rogan where he you know he's he's asking where his second belt is because they didn't have a second belt ready for him um and one of the other champs I think it was Tyron Woodley at the time gave his belt to Dana White to take out to carry out to put on his shoulder because he wanted to have the two belts sitting on his shoulder which was again another iconic moto, mo, uh, moment and photo that no one else had ever done in the UFC before so you know They've had this history before. He knocked it, he, he knocked Dustin Poirier out handily in 2014. Then they rematched at the start of this year, and McGregor's sort of been on this trajectory back towards a title fight. Um, after he's spent years dilly dallying around, like you know, in his stardom, and then fighting boxing matches, and then just been inactive, and then he came in and fought for a lightweight belt against Khabib when he really had no business being in there at the time he hadn't been active um and got you know it was a good competitive fight but ended up getting put away in the fourth round by Khabib uh he submitted him then he was out for for a minute again and then came back and won a a pretty impressive victory over uh Cowboy Cerrone this would have been last year I think really sort of in a Conor McGregor sort of way when he wins he tends to win big I mean he always wins big actually he's never had a boring win on his resume um so that was that. Yeah, he came back and did that, and then he fought Poirier at the start of this year. This was going to be, you know, the rematch. He starts Poirier the first time around. Since then, and specifically in the last couple of years, Poirier has been on an absolute tear. They're both at lightweight now, not featherweight. Poirier has he, in his last eight fights, I think he only lost to his only loss was to Khabib Nurmagomedov, the best lightweight of all time. Um, and everything else has been a murderous row, and he's had some great victories in there against all the all the top contenders. The absolute absolute murderous row of the lightweight division. So he's been putting in the work and just getting better and better, stronger and stronger, more and more confident. Came out competitive first round. McGregor took the first round, clipped him a few times, really good. looked looked like it was going to go bad for for Poria, but you know, it's more than one round in a fight. Poria came back and started looking a little bit more aggressive and and um, yeah, and stronger in the second round. He pieced up McGregor's calf with some really nasty low calf kicks that sort of took McGregor's movement away, and then he was able to get him up against the fence and knock him out, put him away, TKO'd him anyway, really put him away um, after immobilising that leg, and just basically he's just so durable. If you don't knock him out, he's just going to keep fighting, and he's proved that over his career. He'll, he'll be there for the full 25 minutes in, in, in the pocket trading, being in absolute wars, and come out on top of nearly all of them, so... He found a way to put McGregor away. First time he'd been knocked out in his career, and McGregor was was absolutely foaming at the bit to get back in and get that loss back, which he generally is after a loss. Uh, he 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 rededicated himself, doubled down on it, got the rematch booked, and apparently was much more focused for this rematch coming back. You Knows he knew what it meant to his legacy, uh, his business model. You know, being him, he's the the. He's the commodity that this that that the the brand sells. Um, and the brand being, you know, oh, he's got. His proper twelve whiskey. He's got his McGregor Fast, which is a training program. There's just everything built around him and his name, and and basically that needs to you know, he needs to win for that to, to to mean anything. So yeah, there was there was 
um, yeah, it was this, that was the second fight. He got put away, and then he came back really, really, really amped up for this third fight. A lot of trash talk leading up. The last couple of fights, we'd seen McGregor move away from the trash talk and being quite respectful to his opponents, and it was a different, more mature look from him. And then, you know, he after he lost that second fight to Taporia, he kind of turned back up on the turned the the the, the uh, trash talk back up really, you know, to 110 percent for this one. There was a lot of animosity coming into it, and then um, you know he started looking. He looked started out looking good at the beginning of the first round. I looked sharp, a lot more movement, moved away from his boxing sort of stationary stance. He'd he'd, he'd come to favour after his foray into boxing for Floyd Mayweather. Um, you know he really fell in love with his hands, and his, this time he was a lot more mobile, moving around. Started off with some really good spinning attacks, and then some good hard leg kicks to start to fight off, and then. Um, we're not sure what happened, whether he compromised his legs during one of those exchanges, but basically he got clipped by Poirier, taken down, sort of got dominated for the second half of that round on the ground. Did a little bit of um, – threw a few good up kicks and a few good elbows from the, from the bottom. Really just needed to survive the rest of that round and get back up and start the second round on his feet and have another go at it. But um, in the la- in the closing round, the seconds of the round, he, he stepped back on his ankle and it just gave way. Well, his, his leg really, lower, lower shin, it just gave way, just clean. It was snapped in half. So you kind of think that that must have happened somewhere else in the fight. It must have um, damaged it and then just stepped on it and, and – um, yeah, it gave way and folded in half like an Anderson Silva top Chris Weidman kind of um, injury, which is just horrific, man. And really doesn't happen very often. It happened to Anderson Silva, who's one of the greatest champions of all time, against Chris Weidman, who then became champion. And then it happened to Chris Weidman just earlier in the year, which was crazy. Um, and then that might have even been on the, the Conor McGregor card. I can't remember. But then And then it happened to McGregor on, you know, on Sunday or Saturday night in America. So there's only a few people that's ever happened to. They've all been champions as well at some point in their career. Um, just kind of bizarre, man, and, and horrible injury. So he, he he was losing the fight at that point, but again, it was only the first round. You stand on the feet every single time. I, I was watching it with my dad, who seemed to think that it was all done and dusted by that point already, and a lot of, lot of people tend to say that. However... Hardcore fans who watch this sport all the time know that the the complications and the nuances of the sport that it's a five round fight for a reason because it doesn't matter if you win round one even if you dominate we've seen so many things happen in that octagon every fight stands on the feet which is where Conor McGregor shines um, and I'm a massive Poirier fan as well I'm not I'm you know I'm not spewing the Poirier one I really like him I just didn't like the way it all ended it was a gruesome way to, for it to finish and I kind of wanted McGregor to win just because it's exciting when he wins man when he wins what's going to happen next it's like we're all watching all eyes are, are on him he really is good for the sport he's captivating he's a great guy to watch fight even the build up and everything it's just exciting um, so that's why I wanted him to win to see what happened next. If he could have a second half of his career and really turn it back on and do something something amazing again and, and finish on a storybook ending, but um, it does not appear to be the way it's going to go. An injury like that is horrific. It's going to be the full blown at least a year recovery process. That's for the physical recovery of it. If that's if he doesn't have any problems with blood supply and any complications around the, the fracture healing and, and if he can get full movement back in the leg and then he has to get over the mental side of it because he knows that his leg's snapped in half and he's te- you know theoretically been knocked out or beaten by this guy twice in a row now. There's just so much riding on it. You know, He used to come in so free and loose and confident and he still puts that aura out when he walks in but is he really that confident now knowing what's knowing what's at stake knowing that he's lost the last two in a row knowing that his leg was compromised twice a lot of calf kicks in the first fight snapped in half in the second fight like I just don't know if you got the same if he's going to be able to conjure up that same mental um 
the mental state of you know the state of mind that, that it takes to be uh, an elusive and elite. A mystical sort of you know uh, uh, character that he was that he has been in the past. You know, I mean, he's he's definitely human to all of us now, and and to, and no one uh, no one else knows that better than Dustin Poirier, who is who he's gunning for a fourth fight with. Uh, it seems things seem open to a fourth fight because of the nature of the way it finished. Even though he was losing that first round, again, that's just one fight. It's just one round in the fight. Um, anything could happen second round onwards. He still is Conor McGregor, you know, like he does do amazing things in the in the octagon, uh, has done in the past. Um, um, and Dana White seems open to it. Conor wants it and Poria wants it. So everyone seems to want that fourth fight. But, I mean, it's not a common thing to have four fights the only thing saving him is the way that the leg snapped and it was an unconventional end to the to the fight and there's a lot of money to be made so both parties or all three parties may want to go that direction but who knows what happens over the course of year healing he might have complications in the healing process other things might come up between now and then mcgregor uh, poria might move away from the idea of it as the emotion of the event you know passes him by and this could just be something that never happens this could be the way his career ends on a snapped leg sitting on the floor screaming, ranting like a madman, which is another thing I didn't really like. Um, Joe Rogan's the best in the business as far as commentator goes. Um, and he's, you know, he's got a pretty strong moral compass and he's the one that originally uh, decided not to and, and pushed for him not to interview fighters who'd been proper proper knocked out, not just TKOs but proper flatline knocked out because they, he's interviewed someone before in that position and they really didn't know what they were saying. They weren't making sense. It was... You're interviewing someone who's in a state of confusion and bewilderment, you know, and you're sticking a microphone in their face in front of in front of fifty thousand live fans and millions around the world. It's not really the right thing to do. People say weird things and don't quite know what happened. So he moved away from that as a as a as a um, post fight interview method. But he he got in there, nestled down next to Conor McGregor on the floor while he was sitting there looking like a like a wild animal, you know, like a trapped like a trapped bloody. Uh, predator sitting there on the floor, injured, wild-eyed, swinging his eyes around, screaming and, and, and yelling profanities. He sat down next to him and interviewed him and he said some really horrible, unfortunate things, just didn't come across very well, saying shit about Dustin Poirier's wife, which he didn't lead up to the fight as well, to be fair, but you know what's said in promotion is different to what's said post-fight uh, in person. And it just, didn't, it just didn't rub anybody the right way. He was Again, he was all wild-eyed and... And I think he was in a huge amount of pain and shock and the disappointment and just the levity of the entire situation. I just don't think it's the kind of time to stick a microphone in somebody's face. They didn't do it to Anderson Silva. They didn't do it to Chris Weidman. You let somebody recover from a horrific, gruesome injury like that, sort of, you know, out of the spotlight. So you let them just get them out of the ring, get them to, to medical support and their family and friends around them. And it was a, it was a weird thing that happened and, and definitely didn't, McGregor did not come off on the the right end of that that interview at the end, and Poirier was there standing there, you know, very classy, classy in in victory and defeat. Um, he did say if you, if you throw a bit of shade towards McGregor, but you know McGregor was still hurling out insults at his wife and shit, so it's kind of open ground from his point of view at that time. But man, what a what an absolute spectacle and, and a horrific and disappointing end to a great fight card. But was otherwise a great fight card. Uh, the first fight on the main card was. 
was Sugar Sean, who's a young featherweight, or bantamweight actually, I think, who has modelled his his career and his persona somewhat off Conor McGregor's early early um, days in the in the octagon. His brashness and 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 um, he, you know, he's got a really interesting look about him. His fight style very elusive, very kick heavy. Got a lot of got a lot of one punch power. So he's very um, reminiscent of a young Conor McGregor. His fight style and this guy had a. A debut late replacement UFC fight, um, someone they pulled from a local regional circuit because his fighter um, fell out you know, um, a week or two ago uh, last minute. And it was meant to just batter this guy and put on a performance and knock him out and, and look good and move on to the and you know walk off into the sunshine. But it ended up going the full three rounds. And he did batter this guy, but the guy took absolutely everything that Sugar Sean threw at him. He kicked him in the head about four times, hit him with flying knees, just teeing off him, teeing off at him, uh, on him at random. The guy just kept moving forward, landed a few shots of his own, and just when he got punched, he didn't even stop and reset and give Sugar Sean a chance to, to then reset himself and land more, more, more offense. He just kept walking forward and had Sugar moving backwards the entire time. Really, really good performance from that guy. He's going to get himself another UFC fight, and he's won a bunch of fans in the meantime. And I'm, I'm not sure who, if he got a fight or night bonus, but I'm hoping he got an extra fifty grand for it as well. But it was really just not what was expected out of that fight, and um, what people love to see about the UFC. It was just standing and banging for the entire sort of fifteen minutes, which is pretty awesome. Um, the second fight on the card was a couple of the female fighters who I'm not sure. Uh, I can't remember their names, a Russian chick and a Mexican chick. And that the Mexican chick um, had some pretty brutal boxing and once she got going, she, she just put this other Russian chick away via TKO. She hit him with some nasty bod- her with some nasty body shots, got her on the ground and just teed off on her and basically, yeah, knocked her the fuck out, which was pretty pretty awesome to watch. And then we had the big the big heavyweights, one of whom was uh, Taito Vasa, the um, Aussie Sydney cider. Fella, who's who had a real real good start to his UFC career with a f- few wins um, in a row, and then he had a couple of two or three fights skid as he hit the higher echelon of the heavyweight division, and now they're giving him guys back down at his sort of level, which is top fifteen ish. Um, and he's making a good account for himself, so he knocked out the big um, NFL ex NFL player Greg Hardy, uh, who's a big solid unit with knockout power of his own, um, big black dude. Who, if you know the backstory, was um, kicked out of the NFL because he got done for domestic abuse. So there's a bunch of people who who are gunning to see him lose, and lose he did. On in about a minute twenty seconds on on Saturday night, he got knocked the fuck out by Ty Tuivasa. He he hit Ty first and wobbled him. Ty was doing the chicken dance, and then Greg Hardy came in to finish him, and Ty clipped him with a couple of good ones, or one good one really, which busted his eye socket. I was bulging out, put him away. And then continued to just do his general title of Asa Aussie Larrikin shenanigans in the cage, doing a shoey up on the up on the edge of the cage, doing a couple of shoeys as he walked out of the octagon as well. Someone put hot hot sauce in one of them, and yeah, he's just been an absolute larrikin. He's he's funny to hear and get it to, for him to get interviewed and. Um, you know, on one hand, he's giving people the impression that Aussies are all all um, feral bogan larrikins like that, but at the same time, he's got a great personality and everyone loves watching him fight and win and then do shoeys. So that was pretty pretty cool. It was a win for the Aussies there. Um, co-main event should have been a good fight. Gilbert Burns, number two ranked welterweight versus Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who's one of my favourite welterweights, karate-based style. Uh, fighter, really elusive, side stance, a lot of kicks, moves in and out like a snake when he attacks, hands down. 
Really, really sophisticated striker. Um, just, it wasn't that kind of fight. Gilbert Burns just kept taking him down, ground him out on the floor, landed a few big shots on the ground. He won the fight handily, but was a boring shit win in my opinion. Gilbert won no fans that night, but he did win the fight. And that probably puts an end to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson's run at the title because he's 38 years old and that's a big setback at that point in the career. So that was a disappointing one. And then was the main event, which we've already... We've already covered So bloody good Good fight Good good night of fights Went around and watched it At my old boy's house With my father-in-law as well We had a plethora of snacks In front of us And drunk a bunch of beers And there was um, no kids Or females around For the for the duration My mum was there Pottering around in the background But basically just a bit Of a boy's uh, evening Which was good And I did have to watch it In the evening as well So it's on a Saturday night In, in uh, the States Which is like a Sunday morning Mid-morning here In Australia and I was in the classroom doing this course, so I was so nervous and anxious all day, like not going on my phone, didn't want to read messages, definitely didn't go on any social media. Um, I was hoping nobody, nobody in the class streamed it and was going to talk about the fight live or, or give any sort of reactions that would give away the, the, the outcomes at all. So I stayed off away from all that um, all day, and then um, when we got home, went around, watched it, started the card at like 4.30 in the afternoon at my dad's house, and I was so anxious the whole time, but then... Oh, yeah, and it ended up being a horrific bloody uh, end to the fight as well. So it was kind of, yeah, it was a very emotional day. It was a very emotional day. Um, but, yeah, it was good good fun, good to watch that. And, yeah, a bit sad that may be the end of the Conor McGregor, um, yeah, sort of show, the whole the whole spectacle that is Conor McGregor. I don't know if he can come back from that. That was sort of his chance to really make a second run at his, his career and finish on a... On a fairy tale ending, but I don't think it's going to happen now. And, but I just I don't understand all the people that love. I understand the memes, the funny memes, but people who legitimately enjoy seeing someone lose and get hurt like that and fall from a great height and and this whole tall poppy syndrome, the same thing when someone like when Ronda Rousey got knocked out. People who are doing fuck all really with their life in comparison love to go there and laugh and say, oh, what a fucking loser. He snapped his leg. He's fucking, he's a hack. He was fucking, it's over, blah, blah, blah. All this shit, like the guy's an absolute legend of the sport, changed the, the face of, of fighting, of the UFC, raised the bar for what athletes can get paid, put on some of the most exciting fights and spectacles in the sport, first two-time um, division champion, all this great shit, and then he loses and people just love to fucking point the finger and go, what a piece of shit, he's a loser, uh, snapped his leg in half, and it's just like, man, I, I don't get down with that kind of negativity and, and relishing in somebody else's failures, especially someone that's done so much already with their life. I just don't understand that whole tall poppy syndrome shit, hey. So anyway, there's a bit of that going on, always is. I just try and stay out of it. Um, on the issue of sport, State of Origin Game 3 on tomorrow night. I'm probably going to have to watch that retrospectively as well because my boy's birthday uh, well, it was my boy's birthday on Friday, but we'll be driving home to Port Hedland in the car. So we're just going to – it's basically going to lie to him, tell him that his birthday is Thursday and have a party for him on on Wednesday night. So, um, yeah, he doesn't know what day is what. We'll just tell him his birthday is Thursday, treat that like his birthday, and then stick him in a car with an iPad or an, and a drawing pad in front of his face for 20 hours on Friday and get him home to Hedland. So <laughs> – um, yeah, he won't know the. Uh, he won't know. I don't want to tell him. Hey, happy birthday, son! Now sit in the car for twenty hours while we drive to Port Edelman. I don't want to do that to him. So um, yeah, that's that's uh, game three, and we really should win game three of Origin, New South Wales. I mean, when I say we, 
um, my goal your Queenslanders. Um, so yeah, we, we really should win this. We dominated game one, game two. Uh, we do have a couple of key players out, namely our our captain um, uh, Cleary, Nathan Cleary, and um, one of his Panther teammates. Uh, but I don't know. We should still have the the team there to put them away, and it's really important. For, for morale and for the New South Wales sort of legacy that we do because they were dominant for so long, Queensland. They beat us 10 years in a row. Uh, I don't think any of those were 3-0 series, so they won two out of the three. don't think any of those, they won three out of three. It doesn't happen very often. But for us to really show that we are the dominant side now and this is the the, the age of the New South Wales team, that it, it would put a real stamp on this season, to to on this series, should I say, to go 3-0 because it doesn't happen often. So we'll see what happens tomorrow night. I know they'll be gunning for that one. And Queens, Queensland, just for pride, will definitely be coming, looking to come out with fire and, and get one back and prove that they're a competitive side and, and that it was just a, a bit of a rough run. So we'll see what happens tomorrow night. Be interesting. Um, look, and I'm, I'm obviously... You'd love being on holiday. It's nice to have a break from work and just to get away from your normal routine and that sort of shit. But I am ready to, to sort of go home at the end of this week. I won't be. I won't be. I'm, I'm not looking forward to the drive, but I'm. I'm definitely ready to, to have a couple more days down here and stop spending money, and get back up to Headland and away from this shitty weather. Uh, I'm ready to go camping. Just bought some new swags today that I've been scoping out for a while. I got the June Outback. Double swag or Bushman's double swag, I think it's called, or the Outback double swag. I can't remember. Um, I got in there and I already had my mind made up. I was gonna get two of these June June double XL swags, one for me and the missus, one for the two kids. And then I got there and I saw the the same like a June a bar one, I think it's called swag next to it. And I was like, they're the same price. And now I had to make a decision on which one I wanted. I'm like, oh man, the bar one looks like sort of more badass and. What are the pros and cons of them? So I had to get a guy out there and have a chat to him and see what what was the pros and cons to to each swag. And while the bar one looked a bit a bit meaner and has a slightly higher graded canvas on it, um, the way you get in and out of the the one I bought was a little bit better. I think it didn't have a middle rail from from one end to the other. That's a bit more of an extra step to set up, and apparently it's a little bit harder to get the swag canvas tight with that setup which makes all the zips and shit harder to use. The one I've got has got three rings, so a ring over your head, ring over your waist, ring over your feet, which keeps the swag up and off you, and that keeps the canvas tight. Probably that one's a lot easier to set up and, and, and a lot easier to get tight and to use. Um, and then slightly thinner width-wise by 100 mil. Um, but the big seller for me was that in the end, the um, it came with a bag already, so that's sixty bucks you save right there, and it, it had the finer micro mesh on it. The other one, the Barwin, had um, fly fly mesh on it, but not the real tight shit. So I was you you'd worry about midges getting through, and also really fine sand you'd get off like somewhere like Cape Croydon or whatever, um, blowing through into the swag on a windy evening. So that's what sold me in the end, and I didn't end up getting the double XL for the kids as well because when I looked at it, and then I looked at the single XL for them I was like well, no, that's huge that's massive already so I got the kids just a single XL to share and me and the wife can share the double XL so I got the swags ready to go when we come back I still haven't sold that bloody camper trailer of mine so I'm going to have to double down on my efforts to get rid of that when I get home I'm also going to sell the Prado now so I think I can get the Prado cleaned up and get that swag I get that camper trailer and the Prado out on Dreamers Corner hooked up together and up on friggin line and 
just see how we go. I need to be a, bit, a little bit more proactive with that because it's dragging on three months now or something. I haven't really had anyone coming out, come out and have, have a look at it. And I just thought that would it, people would be interested. You know, everyone's going camping. It's hard to get things at the moment. Prices are inflated. You know, it's the right season for it. Everyone's traveling around WA. I just haven't had much interest. Um, I don't know it's worth what I'm putting it up for. I've been looking online what everything else is going for. Um, so yeah, we've got to I've got to try and get rid of that bloody thing because there's money tied up in that that I want to use on the caravan. But anyway, um, we'll figure that out when we get back. And then yeah, as I said, I'm going to sell the, the the Prado privately because I had a look at trading values and they're pretty shitty as compared to the, the private market. So it's no fun selling cars, but that's what we're going to do. Sell our car privately and then look at getting a brand spanking new SR5 Hilux with a canopy on the back and start getting that set up for camp and sea, for camping trips. That's going to be our um, our rig that we use moving forward. So I'm pretty excited to get that happening, get rid of the Prado and get the new car. I mean, I'm not really excited for the $70,000 loan minus whatever I pay off when I sell the Prado, but not really excited for that part of it, but I am excited to get a new car. and We don't have any other outstanding debts, so whatever, a bit of a loan for a car. and It's going to improve our, our um, what's going to help us with the lifestyle we want to move towards with this camping trip and this head, with this trip around Australia and try to get some other little mini trips away. Um, I think having a car that's all set up, ready to go with a fridge in it and, and all the ki- kitchen utensils and everything there, ready to go, easy access in drawers and shit and Really, you just need to get some food and throw your clothes in there. I think having that kind of set up is going to help us um, get away a little bit, uh, a little bit more often than we have been the last year or two. So, even though we have done it, it's just we haven't done any um, swagging trips as such. It's always been camper trailer sort of related trips lately. So, it'd be good to get away from that, and make it a bit easier. Just have the caravan for for. Um, one or two nighters and caravans to take away at Christmas and then have the swag to do those off, you know, off the grid trips. We want to go down to a beach fishing and stuff like that and be ready for the big trip around Oz. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, yeah. Look, it's we have had fun down here in the city, but I'm ready to go. We had we spent a couple of nights in the city at the QT hotel, me and the missus without the kids, which was good fun. I uh, went out for dinner a bunch of times and out for a few drinks and just was were, were very local to the city and I had that course on during those days so it was nice and easy for me to get to and from the course during the day while the missus went out and bloody shopped. So that was fun, uh, always is. Um, but, you know, the way, the rain, we've had floods down here. There was cars frigging breaking down in, in puddles in the city and shit on, I think it was Friday, um, and just squally wind and... Yeah, it's just sort of miserable weather for a holiday. I'm definitely ready to get away from it. Oh, and the masks, frigging masks. I had to wear masks everywhere you went all last week, inside, outside. Um, you get over that real quick. Fucking masks. Never had to put up with that up in Headland. So, um, yeah, I was a bit spewing about that. But at least that's that's finished now. They came off on Sunday night, so no more masks. And, um, yeah, we need to get these vaccinations happening, man, and get our country to a this herd immunity shit going where we can just move forward past this stupid disease and just treat it like any other infectious disease. Um, our government has really dropped the ball on this vaccination thing, getting the whole country vaccinated because we pointed the finger at Europe and England especially and, and, and um, uh, the States, America, how they bungled the situation, how many cases they had and how fucking badly they handled the whole thing. And then when the vaccination finally came around, they got – they got everyone vaccinated. I mean, it's still going now, but they got the the majority of their populations vaccinated real quick, man. They didn't fuck around with it. They wanted to get people vaccinated and back out and open again. And here we are still having lockdowns every couple of weeks, massive outbreaks throughout the fucking countryside. 
Um, no real data as to when we're going to stop doing this bullshit and open it up and we can live our lives normally again. And, and, and people and we're dragging our heels getting the people vaccinated, man. We need to get whatever, 60 to 80% of the population, of the adult population vaccinated and that should be should be just – that should be pumping it out. It should be their main focus and you should be – everywhere you go, you should be hearing about it. It should be easy to get hold of. I've booked in for a vaccination now, which will be in August. But, you know, my wife had to go online and register me for that and they sent me an email. I didn't know anything about it, you know, how to get it done before then. So – Really got to get that fucking vaccination. I know people don't want to get it done, but at the end of the day, mate, if we want to get our country opened up, move back on with our lives, this is, they've got us over a fucking bar- barrel here. This is what we've got to do. So, you know, let's get it fucking done and move on instead of pointing things at other people about how they handle the situation. So sick of this fucking... Oh, I'm so sick of this whole fucking COVID thing, man. And again, our government not giving us any clear indication of when we have this amount of people uh, vaccinated, we will have a, an acceptable casualty rate from this virus like other viruses and we will open everything back up and go about our lives as normal. They just don't want to talk about that. They just want to tell us, you know, lockdown, lockdown, lockdown. And I heard something really interesting about that lockdown, uh, about these lockdowns as well, um, that we're in a state of emergency at the moment, which gives the health minister... Um, you know, overarching and, and un, uh, 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 unopposed control over the, the public of what they can and can't do, whether they can travel, you know, if they have to wear masks, whether they can go to work or not. Um, uh, and that state of emergency has an end date. And whenever you get – whenever there's another outbreak and we go into a lockdown, that extends the end date of the state of emergency. And in every single state around the country, whenever we've been within a couple of weeks – of the end date of the state of emergency, we've had another lockdown, which extends that state of emergency, effectively giving the health minister overarching power over the public again for an extended period of time, which just seems very fucking fishy to me, man. It's just yes, well planned by the government to keep us fucking under the thumb in the box and where they want us to be and not give us any information on when the fuck it's going to be over when we go on about our lives again. So that's me. That's my rant done. Uh, for now and I think that's probably enough for the podcast to be honest um, look I'm ready to get home ready to get into the friggin gym I haven't done any exercise since we've been down here because normally I'd just run every second day but it's, I've been busy for one it's been so windy and rainy and fucking miserable that I haven't even done that I haven't really felt like crawling out of bed at five o'clock in the morning to go down to a gym either and dark and wet so it just hasn't happened for me. So this will be the longest time without any sort of training, any sort of exercise that I have had in a long, long time, many years. So I'm looking forward to getting home and getting back into the bloody gym and um, seeing how far backwards I've gone. And, yeah, start working my way back up. So, and look, that's it. Hopefully we get home safe because on the way down, there were so many peanuts on the road. Most of them go in the opposite direction at least, but uh, so many people on the road. Perth people, city people do not know how to drive country roads. Um, just normally when I drive down, if I'm driving at night, and this is driving through the night, which we normally do, maybe two or three times you'll get someone who leaves their high beams on, you're going to give them a little flash to let them know that they're blasting your eyeballs with high beams. Every third car at least had their high, had their high beams on and left them on this time. All Perth people, especially when we got down south of Carnarvon. Um, all people just fucking driving with their high beams on, just smashing you in the eyes with them. And even, even when you flash them quite often, they didn't turn them off. Um, sometimes they were like behind two or three other cars or one or two other cars. So they were like the second or third car back in a convoy and they had their high beams on. So then f- smashing the person in front of them with high beams. 
Um, there was a guy parked on the side of the road checking his boat and his load with his high beams just blaring on the fucking road. Oh, just so many peanuts, man. Um, and and oh yeah, I got run. Off, I nearly got run off the road. Well, I did get run off the road by wide loads, not too far out of Headland actually. The first one, um, you know, when when there's a wide load. They're, you see them all the time, and there's a pilot vehicle in front, and he just drives past you with his lights flashing. You go, okay, wide well, load coming up. You're cautious when it comes, and you just sort of slow down a bit, peel over to your side of the road, and there's normally heaps of room to get past them. Um, when there's a wide load that's literally hanging onto the other side of the road, and you can't get past them, they pull up in the middle of the fucking road and make sure you see them that you pull over while that wide load goes past, correct? That's how it's always been done when I've seen them, and we see a lot of them up in Headland. This guy just drove past in the lane like normal, lights flashing, going to normal speed, and then I saw the fucking wide load sort of as we came around a bend, and he's fucking on my side of the road, like like in the middle of it. And I had to like brake quite quite aggressively and pull sort of off the road just in time. Lucky I didn't have to brake while I was on the gravel, and, and sort of he went past me. And I was fucking thought that was dangerous as fuck, man. And then the next one, a couple hundred k's down the road, there wasn't even a pilot vehicle. Just came over a rise and there was a fucking wide load there and again had to brake and pull off the road like this. Like nearly had a head on because there was no pilot vehicle and, and a full-blown wide load on our side of the road. Again, I had to brake and pull off the road, dodge a fucking sign on the edge of the road, like my whole family on board and shit. And it's like I just knew I was nearly fucking killed twice from wide loads being poorly fucking piloted. Um Within a couple of hours, within a few hours of leaving Headland, mate, and that, that really set the tone for this trip. It was just, I was on edge, and there was fucking weirdos and dickheads on the road the whole time. And oh man, I have a better run home, you know. It's fucking dangerous sometimes driving on the road when there's other muppets around the place. So, anyway, everyone else who's on the road, drive safely, please. Don't leave your fucking high beams on when you're coming into on- oncoming traffic or if you're behind someone else. And yeah, that's, um, that's all I've got to say on that, I think. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Uh, looking forward to getting home, getting back into the swing of things. Got my aircon hooked up on the caravan now, so I should be able to start doing um, regular podcasts from the podcast caravan with the aircon cranking. If it's a warm day, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be my study in my little, my, yeah, my basically my little study and studio from now on. So I'm pretty excited about that. And, um, yeah, that's about all I've got to say on that, I think. Uh, episode number 99, I'm going to have to do something special for 100. But episode number 99, Average Man Podcast, Broken Leg. Sorry, Conor McGregor, had to do it. Uh, over and out. See you all later. Peace. <laughs>